welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationships, and we grow in Jesus Christ. This segment will be studying the book of Acts, where our risen Christ is made manifest in the early church. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday. incredible gift in being called the church. That's what we have the opportunity to talk about this morning. And it is beautifully broken down and, and, and shared for us and learning of the regeneration, the righteousness of Christ, atonement, justification. We... We fill our time and our minds meditating on the Scriptures and all that that entails. And yet there's something wonderfully simple in realizing that, that you all, we all, who weren't a people, I didn't know hardly any of you apart from God calling us out and making us a nation with one another, calling us by His name. And that should not be overlooked. You shouldn't take that lightly as so many have been tempted to do in our day. We're reading from Acts chapter 11 this morning. Taking a chapter a week, I'll give you an opportunity to turn there in your copy of God's Word. Last week we saw Paul's plan. I'm sorry, Peter. We saw what happened with Peter. We saw how God's gospel is going to the ends of the earth, saving the most unlikely of candidates. The beginning of that chapter is literally him just recounting what God has done to the church. And so if you're behind, you could read the first part of that chapter and you would see Peter's own account of it. So we're going to pick up in verse 19 and read through verse 26 in chapter 11. We're going to see some of the just the beauty, the wonder, what it means to be called a Christian. So I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Again in Acts 11, beginning in verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as uh, Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch who when he came had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all 
that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that at a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Father, we come to you this morning and God, we want to reacquaint ourselves with the work that you're doing. God, we want to re-identify ourselves as Christians and take seriously our role in the church. Father, we plead that you would restore unto us the love we had at first. Lord, let us accept this good gift that you have given us. This new identity that you've given us. This new people that you have given us. Father, we ask that you unite us one with another. That we truly do have all things in common. That we love those afflicted among us. That we serve them. Father, that we find ourselves throughout the week in each other's homes. God, that we would never fail to relish the wonderful people that you've called us to be a part of. Lord, that you go with us this hour. That you help us to understand this text. And Lord, that you bring about a greater obedience in your people. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. As we walk through this, again, we want to think about all that we've read, all that we've endured in just witnessing what God has done. He's growing His church. He's establishing His kingdom on earth uh, to the Jews um, among even the Pharisee to the centurion and to the Greeks. The gospel is going to all the world and there is nothing that's going to stop it. Whenever we read that, whenever Luke records those which were scattered abroad, that really is another big picture because we actually read that often. James and several others even introduce their letters to the church, uh, to all those of the dispersion. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time. That's not the focus of this text, but it's still important for us to see 
the context in which God is sending this gospel out and how pervasive that is. The dispersion in some contexts is referring to those Jews which were persecuted and scattered. They're not all just here in, in Jerusalem or in uh, you know, this physical boundaries of the nation of Israel as we know it today. The Pax Romana brought a great persecution for the Jews and they were scattered all over the place. They were people of all different nations and every different tongue. They didn't even speak Hebrew any longer. And uh, it was these who were drawn together, they would, certain ones of them would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And it was these that would see and hear a lot of these events that took place. It was those Jews that were present and heard the gospel that saw Pentecost occur and they saw the first coming of the Holy Spirit. They were of that Jewish dispersion. It was those that was first made Christians. And so there's a certain reality whenever we read that they were preaching to Jews, we know that the, the time of the Jews did come first. The gospel came to them first. God chose them first. He didn't choose us. We would come after. We would follow after all of the Gentiles. There is a pattern to His redemption. And yet that time seems fulfilled, maybe not entirely to their knowledge, but God was certainly faithful to them. This is the Jewish Messiah that we're talking about. And yet interestingly enough, the Jews by themselves aren't the ones who are able to claim this title of those scattered abroad because shortly thereafter, which we read in Acts chapter 8, following this martyrdom of Stephen, all but the apostles. Every last Christian was scattered. I'm not going to re-preach that for you, but we, we know that's in God's providence. We know they were both persecuted for this gospel message. There was a special cause for the apostles, but there was also a special cause in these Christians being scattered back again throughout all of the land to fulfill this promise that Jesus told His apostles, you will be My witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So that by itself should come to mind, should flood into our mind when we hear all of those that were scattered abroad. They went out preaching. They took with them the Word. It was not, when, when the Christian is persecuted, it is not... It is fleeing uh, in a sense, but it's also, it's never passive. It is also taking this word. It is an active role. They never leave off the preaching of this gospel message. So that floods in, but then we see when they're taking it into these ends of the earth and they preach it to the Jews because this in fact is the Jewish Messiah, and yet there's men, they say, look, these are our people. We were of the dispersion. We were cast out and these are our people and yet God sent this word to us and we're preaching to them. God's hand went with them and so the gospel's going to all. So in this text already, the issue's settled. When later we come to Acts chapter 15, that, that Jerusalem council, 
Just, we're, we're beginning to see words going out. Look, man, this gospel's going to people who aren't Jews and they're being saved. They're believing. They're, we're seeing the Spirit move. We gotta tell somebody. The God, this ain't just the Jewish Messiah anymore. This is the one that God would promise would become, would make Abraham a blessing to the nations. The gospel's going to all. And we get two accounts. We see that Acts 15 where they affirm this and the apostles convene and they debate these issues and they say, oh no, it's to the world. This is what it means when we receive the Great Commission. It's the same that I think we see debated whenever Paul rebukes Peter in Galatians 2. Is that this same Jews, Jewish council here, Jerusalem council among Christians. Not Jewish, but Christian council, I guess. So the issue settled for the church. We are seeing something has changed. Something has grown. This gospel has just blown up. But like we've seen up to this point, what is the right response? What is it that the wisdom of the Spirit is given to the apostles? How should they respond? Well, we send, we're going to send our brother out to them. We're going we're to see on this, is this the true gospel? Have they received the, the only Messiah, the only begotten Son of the only living God? Is this the true gospel that they've been saved unto? And then we're going to send to teach, to bring them to full maturity. And that's where we, I think, should see that they saw, it seems at least in some unison, that they were guarding the deposit of the faith. So we're not just talking loosely. When we see that the gospel's going to the ends of the earth, it's not loosely that we say that. This is the gospel that we've been entrusted with. This doesn't mean that we see people uh, who are widely giving humanitarian aid. We're not talking about people who uh, are on the ends of the earth or beginning to acknowledge God. That's not the good news. It's not even that they would realize how terrible, how sinful of a people they are. It's not good news either. That's the law. It's necessary. Without a doubt, it was revealed to them through this year of discipleship. But it's this gospel that they've been entrusted with. This message from God that comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone. There's a number of applications that maybe we ought to guard ourselves with when we think about missions, we think about evangelism. Heresy has often crept in through the mission field. We desire to see people saved. We desire to see people baptized. And so we open the floodgates 
We leave off the preaching so long as we can get them to the baptistry. We're willing to take men of old and baptize their old doctrines and, and, and make them twist them into something they weren't. Whatever the case is, we need to guard this deposit of the faith. There is nothing else but that which is given in this word that saves souls. But this teaching, it remains important. They saw that this was happening. They were filled with joy. This is wonderful. We're seeing the gospel go forward. And so they called for Saul, this Pharisee of Pharisees, this one trained in the word. And they say, listen, you have to go with these people. God's called you to the Gentiles. We've heard your profession. We've heard your testimony in the way, the purpose for which you've been called. So they recognize the gifting of God and they say, listen, so go. Here's the door. God's opened the door. Go and, and check on these people. Guard this deposit of the faith and teach them all that God has done from the beginning through the coming of Jesus Christ and now in your midst. So Paul goes to them and he says to them, pray this prayer. Here are the ABCs of your salvation. Praise God, we will go back to Jerusalem and rejoice. No, he doesn't say that at all. He spends a year, a year waiting through a history of the entire world, a year waiting through all of their baggage that they have brought with them. All of these issues, and we know Paul, we can entrust what it was that he said to them as he wrote these letters and spent even his incarceration dealing with all of the issues that he would have had to have dealt with with these Greeks, these pagans. Perhaps it was then through the course of an entire year that they talked about how should they respond to meat offered to idols. How would they handle the drinking of alcohol? Or how, would they, how should they approach marriage? And with what sanctity would they regard their homes? An entire year he spent with them. came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. There is an assembly. That word church that we get in the New Testament is often ecclesia. It literally means the gathering. We gather together. Now, obviously, COVID has shaken that up, has caused people to want to redefine that, has wanted them to call themselves the church and never again gather with the church. That has given people a license to stay home and to say this year, yes, of COVID, I will choose to stay home when they haven't been here two years prior. 
If you are not gathering with the church, you're not the church. Let's just say that. Let's say the gathering. Let's no longer say, I'm going to church. Won't you come to church? Instead, say, will you gather with the saints? We are gathered here together under the banner of Christ. This is why James would say, don't forsake the gathering together. There were those that left off the gathering. They weren't of us because if they were of us, they would not left from among us. Either you're the gathering or you're not, guys. We don't leave off the gathering. This is the blessing. And when it's when we're gathered together, and you must be gathered together, and we know this to be true because if you're not here, you're not, you're not receiving this teaching. The teaching of many saints. All the teaching of God's Word. When we gather for the equipping of the saints, when we gather for the battles that you're engaging in the spiritual warfare, in marriage, in parenting, in the workplace, in your evangelism, with the students that you interact with as a teacher, as, a, as another student, when you're confronted with the, with the pagan philosophies and ideologies of the world and the transgenderism and the homosexuality and the effeminate Christianity, That's what we're here to do. We're teaching. We're gathered together that we might wade through these doctrines and wade through all that God has done that we might engage a world, a culture who needs this message that's coming to them. It's coming to them right here through us who are gathered, trained, equipped. And so there's certainly something that identifies us and it makes important the message that we preach. It makes important that we're giving the true gospel. All of this message hinges on the fact that those brothers who were scattered at the persecution of Stephen preached the right gospel. It was then checked upon whenever they sent uh, someone to them to say, listen, go, go as far as Antioch. And then seek these to teach them the rest of this message. Christian, take care lest you are sharing a false gospel in your homes, in your workplace. How many of you have told your children, you know, look, man, you're old enough, why don't you make a profession of faith? That way you'll be set. Get baptized, you know, then you don't have to come to church again. How many of you have told your children, you know, hey, you need to behave rightly. You need to do these things and, and get a job. You know, God's going to take care of you. Nothing about that has anything to do with being part of the people, the nation, the gathering of God.
Or have we left off? You go to church somewhere? Yeah, man, I'm a member. I, you know, I haven't been in a few years, but you know, I'm a member of so-and-so. You know, I was baptized. Okay, good. Is that the gospel that you've taken with you? Were you even, do you even qualify as one of these faithful who were scattered, persecuted? You don't even know the true gospel. If we were to send someone and to test that faith and to say, is this the gospel with which we've been entrusted? Is this person, one who is born again, who Christ died in his very place? Would they pass that test with the gospel that you have shared? If you don't have that gospel, there's not a whole lot we, we teach. Our baby's got to start with milk. And you've given them some other garbage. So we start, that's the evangelism needs to take place. You've got to be taught this gospel. And we share the milk and then we bring the meat. And guys, I'm sorry if anyone's other sensitivities cause you to be a vegetarian or your dietary restrictions, but that meat last night was good. <laughs> and we were reminded, these brothers in Christ reminded us, we have finished feasting, and when we feast, we remember there's nothing that we could put in our mouth that tastes better than Christ. And if you know the gospel, if you've come to Jesus Christ, man, that's great. I love you. And I, I cherish you and I rejoice just like I rejoice when I watch my sons and my daughter be born. It brings tears to my eyes. And yet there is nothing better than whenever they learn to bite into that fresh steak. They will never ask for a cup of milk again. It is a rich text that we have here. And so there is great importance in this doctrine and in this teaching and this preparation, this deposit of faith that we've been given. And we do this, we gather. We gather so that we can preach this. Milk, meat, whatever we got to preach, we've got it because we've gathered together, we've been taught, we've been sharpened as iron sharpens iron. We have, we've been built up and brought it to mature faith. We've been given the, the full armor of God. We've been equipped for warfare and, for, and with a gospel of peace to nurture softly, to wash our wives and children in the water with the Word. And it's in this experience that we see such a thing as being called a Christian. This is the first mention of Christian in the Bible. There's a gathering of people that are doing all these things, the same things. The way the ones who are following the way. There's, there's something uh, that they're doing that's different. But right here in this point in history, 
the church is no longer viewed as a sect of Judaism. And where there was doubt, it'll be put to death at that Jerusalem council later in our study. But it's the church, it's the Christian church. It was at Antioch that they were first called Christian. Now we don't know. Is this because we're seeing every type of believer, every background that's present, that's saved of this gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that why? That there's something that's changed, that they're now being able to be identified to the world as Christians, as this new, it's this new religion. It's a continuation. The Jews have left off. If they, didn't, if they didn't receive Christ, it's because they don't love God. They went off worshiping. and They've made another idol in their hearts. They started worshiping a new God at the day they rejected Jesus Christ. They've got something new. Is it because it's of every class type and, and background of people? Is it because of their, their bold gathering, the growth in numbers? Is it because of their boldness in preaching? We don't know, but one... Reformer says this, such a holy concord was blessed from heaven. For this was no small honor that the holy name of Christians began there for all the whole world. Though the apostles had been long time at Jerusalem, yet God had not vouchsafed to bestow upon His church, which was there, this excellent title of His Son. Whether it was because at Antioch much people was grown together in one body as well as Jews as of Gentiles, or whether it were because the church might be better ordered in a time of peace, or because they were more bold to confess their faith, there were in very deed Christians both in Jerusalem and also in Samaria before that time. And we know that Jerusalem was the first fountain from which Christianity did flow. And what is it else to be a disciple of Christ but to be a Christian? But when they began plainly to be called that which they were, the use of the name served greatly to set forth the glory of Christ because by this means they referred all their religion unto Christ alone. This was therefore a most excellent worship for the city of Antioch that Christ brought forth His name thence like a standard whereby it might be made known to all the world that there was some people whose captain was Christ and which did glory in His name. So then what does this make you think about calling yourself a Christian? First, there's wonderful freedom in being called a Christian. One not tied to the law of old, not bound to physical circumcision. They've been granted the circumcision of the heart. Not the one who is, has their guilt heaped upon them because of their failure of the law, but who has had righteousness imparted to them because the law is fulfilled in Christ. This is what it means to say in Christ alone. Even in name. 
This is what it means whenever we see Isaiah say you be given a new name from the mouth of the Lord. At the end of time in Revelation, we'll have his name. His name that only his mouth can utter is upon you, Christian. You're not a Jew. You're not a Gentile. You're not a Baptist. You are one of his chosen children of God. You've been called by the name of Christ. Take that seriously. You're no longer poor or the drunkard sloth or the prideful, rich, arrogant, whatever. We leave off the old man. We take up Christ. What a glorious truth that is. And yet it bears weight. How many people have taken this name? want nothing to do with his people on whom he has set his name. How many people have called themselves Christian and thereby heaped up coals of condemnation on their heads? How many of us here today call ourselves Christian and forsake his word and allow a single day to pass without reading from this these holy scriptures and dare call ourselves Christian. This is our only banner. This is what's revealed to to the world. This is the the image and the message and the, the persona, the identity, the only identity that we have to take with us. How could you neglect any of it? Is there a day that you haven't mentioned the name of Christ in your home, to your wife, to your children? We should have pity on that man who leaves off this word, this name of Christ. Their only ministry is a ministry of death. So there is a burden. Though there is great freedom, we've already seen there is no sin too great for this name. There is no people too terrible for this name. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here. You wouldn't be sitting there. And friends, there is no name that produces in us or for us on our behalf such a blessing. Let's just read what this gathering, what this identity, what this people means for some of these. In these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Same group. It's in this year of teaching, fellowship, gathering. 
And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth, a famine, throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto brethren, the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The gathering of the church meant life or death in times of famine. The blessing of the church is not merely under your salvation. It is a fellowship that enters into eternity and never dies. It doesn't go away. The benefits are endless. And even in very practical sense. How many times I've counseled with someone and, and, and a mechanic that's hard up for work and said, brother, you haven't, even, you haven't been to church in years. You'd have been healthy because I counted this many cars in the parking lot this week. The church, we, we have fellowship and unity. We have life together. We support one another. When there are needs, we meet them within the church. We've talked about this before, but God doesn't call us to poverty. He doesn't call Peter to feed the goats. He doesn't, he doesn't call us to give up. They didn't say we're going to do this, but you know, we got our own people here in Antioch. We've got our own people that are, that are prostrate and, and starving to death outside of our pagan temples. I think we need to feed them first. There's a special obligation in the church because we are brothers. And we are our brother's keeper. And so it's a gift to us, the believer. God doesn't require that I go to church to be saved. Oh boy. Yeah, you're right. But man, have you, have you misunderstood the church? It is a gift to you. How could you go on a week without that encouragement? My, my week was hard. And, and what you will receive from God's Word, what you will receive in the encouragement from the saints, the conversation that you'll have with the brothers and sisters here, Families often give us a little microcosm of the church in some senses. And I have experienced in my own home what a blessing it is. What is that Psalm 130? What a good thing when brothers dwell in peace with one another. We understand the havoc that comes in a house that's divided against itself. The unrest. And so in the church, we don't, we're not a body divided. We are the brothers who dwell with one another in unity and lift one another up. We, we apply salve to one another's wounds. We feel the pain 
of another brother's sin in our church, it does affect you. Never fail to utilize the church in the body of Christ. Never fail to say, I am spent. I am at my wit's end. My marriage is on the rocks. Pray with me. What counsel can a 51-year marriage give to me? What, what experience can you share with me in your parenting? Friends, I think we may very well find out what it means to depend on one another in a very real way. It is all too ironic that it is in Antioch. These people are questioned, man, are these real Christians? Those were pagans over there. They're even going to have a council over the whole matter. Where did they send that relief? To Judea. I've been badgered before just because now I think we do missions locally. I've been badgered before whenever I try to, I've mentioned for our, some of our foreign mission involvements. We've got people here in America. Yeah, well, we might need those missionaries to come over from Honduras one day. God's been awfully gracious to Honduras, and I pray to God that He would raise those men up in Honduras because we're going to need them over here. We're going to need their aid. We're going to need their provision. Maybe by God's grace, they'd be able to kind of get through the grapevines and send us their produce in an area that can produce crops year-round while our ports are closed. We might need them to share the gospel because all of our pastors are preaching a false gospel from behind their pulpits. I have no idea what era it is that we're in in relation to the Lord's return, but whenever the time comes that the stores and the produce and the groceries are closed to us, and whether it even be by natural disaster, to whom will you turn? The government? Or to your brother and sister in Christ that's got a lush garden that God has seemed to give them way more then they can fit in their pantry this year. Why? Why did God do such a thing? And so I strongly believe in and am thankful for the eggs that we find in the refrigerator at our church here at New Life Baptist. Or the extra vegetables and things like that. That's what, that's what we need to be about. And it may become all too pertinent in our very near future. As I have had that talk with, I've had that talk with brothers that said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got a baby on the way. I'm about to lose my job. Unless I sin against my own convictions. I sin against my own heart. I've had this discussion. Too many people are, are, are doing things in doubt by coercion. To him who does in doubt, to him it's sin. So I'm not asking anyone to sin against their conscience. I'm asking though that us as a church bind together, support your brother or sister. That may be something very real for us. 
Maybe if you've been thinking about getting a garden, you better start making some preparations. If you've never gardened before, take up husbandry. But understand there are very real implications to our fellowship. Think again when you call someone brother. Is this person a brother to you? Think again when you call someone brother and you say brother. Or when you're called brother. Can, can I depend on you? Can I put my life in your hands? Surely you can, because Christ has given us his very life. My life is in his hands. Amen. It is what unites us. And so it is a special thing. And I would caution you for the love, for the love of God, for the love of these people. When you meet these friends and family that call themselves Christian, guard them. Stop it. Do you not understand what it is Christ has done? Do you not understand the condemnation that you bring? We're guarded when we take the Lord's Supper. Don't take this in vain unless you eat or drink condemnation on yourselves. Don't do that. We love you instead. Come to Christ. Come to Christ, rest in Him, gather with the body, receive the full aid of the Father. What a blessing it is to be, to be a Christian. Father, we come to You this day as Your people, a nation, Father, we have our King. We have our law and we have our gospel. God, I pray you unite us this day in a very real way that we take seriously this, this deposit of faith that we have been given Father, that we dive in, that we study Your Word, that we learn to wield the sword of Your Word well. Father, that by Your Word, our homes are, are slain and raised in newness of life. God, we pray that You would manifest Yourselves in, in our person, in our homes, in our church. Father, that we would see again the power of the gospel unto salvation. We trust there are souls yet to save or else you would have come. And so God, employ us You've given us your orders. Go with us. Move in our midst. Lord, let us, let us dispense a true gospel. A full gospel. And 
And God, we pray that you take the glory from what little time we have left. Father, that we tend to the needs of the body today. To those that are our spiritual children and our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we pray for the coming of our Lord. For we yearn. We yearn for the community that we will have with you and the entirety of the body of Christ. And we thank you that your name has been placed on everyone here who is in your name. It is a seal of promise that cannot be lost or forsaken because you are good, you are true, and you are able to keep us. God, go with us that we may live in a manner worthy of our calling. All of this we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationships, grow in Jesus Christ. Subscribe so you don't miss a single sermon and come and grow with us.